Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent, grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Arizona riddled in COVID right now. I took an Uber and I was like, hey, how's the COVID thing going? And he goes, ah, it's pretty much gone. I was like, that's not science. That's not, it's pretty much gone. Like they don't care. My first show back since COVID, I, it was in Arizona. There was just like this huge COVID spike. It was right when the George Floyd protest started and the city was pretty much on fire. Literally, the mountains were on fire. Protests, COVID, shows completely sold out. Nobody cared. My backyard, I could just see flames everywhere. And I get a text message from the government. And I was like, you have to evacuate. And I was like, oh my God. And again, I'm from LA. I'm scared of everything. So like, I get my little backpack. I go to evacuate. You know what my neighbors were doing? Swimming in the pool. And I go to them, I go, did you guys get the text? Should, should we evacuate? The child looks at me and goes, it looks like we're swimming in a volcano. Then I go to the dad, I go, are you evacuating? And he just goes, nah, fuck the government. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> cool, man, I guess. Uh, my year was bad before COVID happened. How about that? How about that? How about my year was garbage? And I was like, well, it can't get worse than this. And then COVID happened. I was like, touche. All right, sure. Why not? In January, same week, my cat died. My mom's in the hospital and my girlfriend and I broke up. And the breakup was fine. I was so devastated about the cat that I felt bad for my girlfriend because every time she saw me and I was like sobbing, she would be like, it's okay. We're still going to be friends. And I'm like, what? You? No, you're still here? No, no, no. This is about, this is about the cat. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. The voice you just heard belongs to podcaster and confessional comedian Jamie Kilstein, whom some of you might know from his massively popular 2018 Quillette article titled, I Sold My Soul on Twitter, Now I'm Trying to Win It Back. In that piece, Kilstein described how he'd used his fame as a comedian to grow his stature on social media where he spent an increasing amount of time calling out anyone whom he deemed inadequately feminist in their politics. Then, following the common pattern that usually plays out in progressive call-out cliques, Kilstein himself was called out. As he admits, he had made terrible life choices during the period leading up to this crisis. This included cheating on his wife, who at one time was also his podcast partner, and during the social media mobbings against Kilstein, he was cast as an emotionally abusive and even predatory philanderer, a charge that floats prominently around on Google to this day, even though there's never been any evidence of anything remotely close to criminal behavior on Kilstein's part. Needless to say, he was instantly abandoned by all of his progressive friends and creative collaborators. Following that, Kilstein left California and now lives in Texas, where he's taken up jiu-jitsu and other martial arts. Years after his cancellation, he finds it still tough going to rebuild his career. I spoke to him last week about all this, with a focus on the period that immediately followed the publication of his famous 2018 Quillette article. As you'll hear, this was a time when Kilstein was being encouraged to profit from his cancelled status by becoming a celebrity ex-leftist on conservative media. It was a highly profitable option that Kilstein thought about, 
but ultimately rejected, for reasons you'll hear about. We also spoke about other mob victims we know who did go down that profitable path, migrating gradually over a period of years from progressives to disaffected progressives, then to right-wing activists, until the momentum of their rightward movement eventually carried them into a radicalized realm on the right that's just as cultish as the left-wing silo they'd once inhabited. Unloved but principled pariah, or wealthy ideological turncoat? Which choice is harder to live with? That's the question Jamie Kilstein and I talked about on this week's Quillette podcast. You've done several podcast projects. Mm -hmm. One of them is called A Fuck-Up's Guide to the Universe. Yes. Is that your brand now? I mean, kind of. It was bestowed upon me by my terrible life decisions. So I wrote a piece for you guys that I thought was balanced and and still to this day represents who I am, which is after being a hipster and pioneer of cancel culture, sort of accidentally, after 10 years of being kind of like a being called Bill Hicks and George Carlin by newspapers and being an edgy comic. But I just got so swept into the the politics of it and finally getting attention. And I was in a bad relationship and I was depressed, all that stuff. And I talk about it in the piece. There was a phase that, that I don't think me and you have talked about publicly or maybe even off air where I was sort of being like courted by the the right wing. And I went on a lot of shows and I really I stand by all the appearances. You know, I, I, I went on Glenn Beck, the liberal views that I still have liberal as in like more progressive. I stood by, you know, I've defended Black Lives Matter on Rogan, you know, things that I still believe in now where I am now is I can call them out, right? I can say the establishment of Black Lives Matter or some of the people can be ridiculous, but also the concept of Black Lives Mattering and we should do something about them being shot is still a good thing that I care about. But when I went on these shows, I also talked about here's the problem with the left. Here's the problem with cancel culture. Here's the problem with all the stuff you guys talk about. And I was really proud and I got new followers and I got a lot of messages that said, hey, you know, I don't agree with all of your politics, but it's really cool to see someone, you know, being able to criticize themselves or change their mind. You know, I live in Texas now and I used to be a, a vehemently anti-gun ban all guns guy. And now I'm doing Navy SEAL courses with my friend Tim Kennedy, who's a much more conservative guy, Green Beret. I think that's really important. I think it's important to learn from people who are experts and talk to people who disagree with you. So all that stuff I stand by. But the thing that really disappointed me and what I still love about you guys, and I, I, I think we're going to talk about the vaccine stuff later. You know, I, I love you guys going against a lot of your audience and just people who are principled. Well, <laughs> a lot of those aren't our audience anymore. What you're talking about is that we've come down firmly in a pro-vaccine editorial stance. The science is solid, and we don't have much time for people who engage in conspiracy theories about that. We've lost followers over that, and probably people will click off this podcast as soon as those words came out of my mouth. But we make no apologies for it. Well, look, I need, I need as many new listeners as possible, so all hail QAnon. Uh, the vaccine <laughs> okay. is from Jeffrey Epstein, whatever you think. But So this proves my point. So I would love to talk about this more because the people who go to your site— like to sort of herald themselves as we are above tribalism. Right. However, by unsubscribing because of this vaccine stance, you've just made your own new tribe. 
And so this is what happened to me, which is I'm getting all these emails and I start to think, okay, I can finally make a living. I'm not going to go full, you know, conservative Dave Rubin. I kind of talked to people who were like, hey, what if you went like a little more conservative? And, you know, I mean, I could have had a show. The Temptation of Jamie Kilstein. Oh, I could have written that book, Why I Left the Left and Been a Bazillionaire and Been Miserable. But I was like, okay, maybe I can carve myself out as being like a ballsier Alan Combs, you know? Like I can still be a liberal, go on Glenn Beck's show and be like, hey, did you guys think about it this way or whatever? And and sometimes I'll be wrong and I can go, oh, that's a great point, conservative. And sometimes I'll be right and they'll go, good work, Jamie. And it'll be great and whimsical and I'll have money. But when George Floyd was killed by the police, I posted as innocuous a statement as possible. I mean, it got to the point where like Mike Pence had to say that was bad. And so many of those people, I won't say all of them, but a lot of them, just like you guys with the vaccine, so many of these people, not just unsubscribed, unfollowed, but they would say things, John, so ridiculous. Like I had one guy go, um, looks like feminist Jamie is back about a, a, <laughs> a black guy being shot. Like those are the same things, Sorry, right? Can I wait? Can I just interrupt? Because I want to tell listeners who feminist Jamie is because feminist Jamie was kind of a douche. A little bit. I know this because it's a story you told to much applause at a huge Quillette event in Toronto. That's right. And I, and I don't know if I could duplicate your delivery, but the story was that at peak douche, you were tweeting furiously in your social justice phase and like your mom called you and I think the line was, I can't talk, mom. I'm too busy tweeting about feminism. Sure was. So when, when they said feminist Jamie is back, that's what they meant, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the craziest one I got, I'll never forget this. It was on Instagram and Instagram is usually way better than Twitter where they were like, didn't you learn your lesson already? So essentially saying me saying, hey, it's bad that this cop murdered this black guy means that I suddenly am going to face the wrath of the, you know, because I had an affair nine years ago and was quote unquote canceled, that now I'm not allowed to have any opinions that go to the left, which is hysterical because that's exactly what they criticize about the left. The tribalism. Yeah. And so I wish people could take inventory of it. Being truly against tribalism means that sometimes you're going to stray and that's cool. It doesn't mean that you are suddenly this hipster who pretends to be above tribes, but your cool above tribes tribe is a tribe. You know, there are people who agree more with us and like the Quillette people who spend their days on Twitter trying to cancel the cancelers and calling them out. And that's their own type of call out culture. And that's cool. Do your thing, but be honest with yourself and be honest. Like, am I being a bit of a hypocrite? And a lot of us are a lot of us on the left, a lot of us on the right. And I know I'm a hypocrite because when I do see somebody engaging in some kind of crazy cancel culture stuff, and I tweet about that, and that person gets huge pushback as a result of my tweet, I know that I'm getting the same dopamine rush yes. that that person got when they tweeted like Charlie Brown is racist and Linus is a misogynist. Like, <laughs> By the way, things are so bad that I'm like, is that a thing? I, I could see that actually being a thing. It's not a thing. It's making fun of the homeless because his blanket's all dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that there's no such thing as left-wing dopamine or right-wing dopamine. It's just if you get that hit, you're getting that hit 
in an unhealthy way. Thanks for saying that, because when the people who call out the holier than thou become holier than thou, which again, I've done, there's trouble, you know, so the gun thing, for example. So when I started shooting with these guys, I was asking them questions from an anti-gun point of view, because my thought was, oh man, what a bummer this is. As someone who still cares deeply about gun violence, me, I'm like, what a bummer it is that the pro-gun people, the people who know the most about guns, right, military, law enforcement, whatever, when they're brought out onto the news after a shooting, they're put in such a corner where they have to defend the Second Amendment, right? They have to defend keeping guns. So they're right away attacking the liberals. Oh, they're making it political. They're trying to take our guns, whatever. But if things weren't so political, what if you actually ask these experts questions like, hey, as someone who has dealt with firearms, what are the things we should look at when selling a gun? How can we be safe in public? What's the best way to practice situational awareness? Where should I sit in a movie theater? If we're not getting rid of guns, where's the safest place for me to sit? How often should people train with a firearm to actually be proficient enough that they think they can be a quote unquote good guy with a gun? These are all questions I had answered and these are all questions I asked. And when you ask these questions from a non-combative point of view, you're going to get good answers. And uh, this to me is the biggest problem with tribalism. It's not just this like he said, she said, ha ha, laugh at the other side on Twitter. It's like if during COVID the left was just as obsessed with jobs as the right was, if everybody was talking about health, if the right would listen to the science when it came to vaccines, it's like, well, now we're all working together. But the fact that things are so disgustingly polarized that you can essentially tell someone's political affiliation by if they're wearing a mask or not is disgusting. By the way, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that they let a California entertainment industry Jew into all these Texas shooting ranges. They sure did, bud. So I assume you were going under your goyish pseudonym, Jayhawk Carson or something like that. Yes. They were, when they were like, are you that Kilstein guy? I'm like, uh, no, 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 no. I got to say, one of the universal elements of the backstory of people who have tried to escape tribalism is that they often will go out and just like get off their computers and do stuff in the real world. And for me, my own hobbies are much more true to my wussy urban roots and so for me the last year it's been disc golf it's a nerd sport i own that yeah but what i love about it is you go out on disc golf course you will find macho ncaa athlete types and they will be playing side by side with some guy whose wardrobe looks like antifa cosplay smoking a joint and then there'll be like some nerd like me who's yeah. twice their age. And then there'll be some guy with a kid and some guy with a dog. And we don't talk about politics because we're talking about throwing Frisbees. Dude, I'm so glad you said that. And like, man, if you think disc golf is nerdy, I'm doing professional wrestling right now. And it's the best time of my life. So how is jujitsu and wrestling more nerdy than disc golf? Like in what universe is that? Your no, jujitsu is tough as shit. But uh, pro wrestling is actually harder on your body. But it's, it's essentially a bunch of people putting on tights and pretending to fight each other. It's theater. Yeah, okay. But, you know, doing jujitsu in Texas, it's like, yeah, most of the dudes are conservative or libertarian. And I'm still definitely more left of that. I mean, I'm more center than I was, but I'm certainly, I was never a Trump guy or whatever. When you build these relationships, not based on politics and then politics come up, you go, okay, well now my baseline is knowing you're a good guy because you've had my back and your baseline is knowing I'm a good guy because I have your back. 
so now we can have this conversation like adults. And I've started talking about politics a little more on a fuck up's guide to the universe than I used to. I kind of tried to escape and talk only about mental health. And I realized I was just afraid of my past. And I know I would have definitely gotten way more numbers, way more money if I leaned more into the politics. But the emails I got, I mean, sometimes it, it wasn't even just me making an advice video. I would literally just post in my Instagram stories that, you know, hey, man, I'm really depressed today, but here's what I'm doing. I'm going for a run. I'm doing this. And 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 people, especially guys in the more masculine, like fighter world would write me and be like, dude, I didn't know you could talk about that stuff. When I was shouting at politicians on Twitter, I thought I was saving the world, but I wasn't. It was for me, you know, and, you know, not even on social media. Forget Instagram. The times that I've been at the jujitsu gym and I can tell someone's hurting. I can take them aside and be like, hey, man, you good and talk to them as humans. And that's probably not even something I would have noticed when I was so self-involved with Twitter and call out culture or I'm actually talking to the cashier instead of looking at my phone and refreshing Instagram or whatever, because I just I don't give a shit about that world anymore. And I've met people who are some of the best people I've ever met in my life, just moral, good old Texans who love their family, take care of them, and they're barely, if not at all, on social media. They're like, I don't even watch the news. I don't know what's going on. And for political people, you, you want to criticize them and be like, hey, that's apathetic, that's whatever. But it's like the amount of good they're doing in their circle, in their town, in their community, with their family, who will then go on to do good as well. It's like, well, shit, man, that's that, that's changing the world, too. You're reminding me of my gym trainer, who's absolutely brilliant when it comes to anything to do with the human body. But I asked him a couple of years ago, there was, there was a federal election here in Canada. I asked him who he was voting for, and he said... Well, who usually wins these things? I love that. <laughs> like I was asking him about the Super Bowl. You don't want everybody in society being like that. But I like the fact that he didn't come out with some facile thing. He just admitted that it's not something he follows. Two things can happen when, I mean, there's more, but let's say two things can happen when a people, a community, whatever, gets completely disgusted with the political system. One, you have these extremes. You have Antifa on the left. You have Donald Trump on the right, right? So you can get driven to extremes. The political system is broken, so we need a, a disruption like Donald Trump. Or you get people like your gym trainer and like 95% of my friends who have been like, okay, the system's broken. Both sides are more similar than we think. The news is kind of corrupt. So I'm going to pull myself out of it and do something to try to make the world a better place. Help people get in shape for your gym trainer. And now, a commercial message for those of you looking to add Bitcoin to your investment portfolio or retirement account. And I realize that this is a confusing subject. I remember the first time I got Bitcoin, I walked into a convenience store that had the Bitcoin logo, went up to a kind of reverse ATM, fed in some bills, and received, in return, a long series of numbers and letters. Then I spent an hour trying to figure out how to feed those numbers and letters into a Bitcoin wallet on my phone. I wanted to invest in cryptocurrencies, but surely there had to be a better way. And that's what brings me to BitTrust IRA, a seamless, secure, and easy way to add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. BitTrust IRA stores your private keys with military-grade encryption. They have a 24-7 trading platform with no minimum investment and unlimited trades. They also offer what I'm told are the lowest trading fees in the industry. 
Many crypto assets have been great performers this year, and some analysts will tell you they're a great way to start building intergenerational wealth. For those looking to invest, skip the convenience store and go to bittrustira.com slash quillette to learn more. For a limited time, Bittrust IRA is waiving the sign-up fee for Quillette podcast listeners, a $50 value. Go to bittrustira.com slash quillette, B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A dot com slash Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. And now, back to our podcast. You wrote a great piece for Quillette about how disaffected you were with the extremes of progressive online culture. It was a couple of years ago, and you talked about how you regretted your participation in it. I have been at Quillette long enough that I have seen the trajectory of a lot of people who have been in this situation. And there are people, I guess, like you. There's people like me, because you know I, I used to work at a, a woke magazine. How did I not know this? <laughs> <laughs> disc golf, progressive, this is crazy. You know, I'm a very complicated person. But anyway, I did kind of what you did is, is I said my thing, and I guess I'm still saying it. I have been disappointed to see how many people who were in the same situation, they kind of just like kept going. In year one, they're progressive talking bots. And then year two, they're like, you know what, screw that. And then maybe year three, they're people who were doing tell-alls about how completely crazy that world is. And then year four, you see they're kind of like starting to retweet some pretty dodgy stuff from the other side of the spectrum. And then year five, it's full-on like Tucker Carlson. Recently, it's anti-vax stuff. It's almost like the world of physics where a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And especially when you're being given financial inducements. And I'm not saying these people, I absolutely do not want to say, oh, these people are stupid or unprincipled. Don't look at me. I'm so great. Although I get the opposite slurs are directed at me. There's, God, what did someone say? Someone said, <laughs> Quillette is controlled opposition. Somehow we were in the pay of the left because we pretend to be an opponent of progressive. I got to be honest, whoever said that to you fucked up because while controlled opposition may be a bad thing, God, does it sound badass. That sounds <laughs> that sounds so cool. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like a, a Jason Bourne that's film. That's what I was thinking. That's exactly what that's literally exactly <laughs> what I thought about. I mean, I'll pitch a theory because I've been struggling. My path. It, it's hard, man. Like I haven't gotten back on my feet. I'm doing a lot of cool things. I've had phases that were ups and there are a couple things that ha have a chance to get me back on my feet. My first stand-up shows back, a female comedian took me to open for her. It was a primarily female audience. It was a female club owner, but you know, I think when we say something like someone's doing something for money, we just think of the cartoonish Guy in a smoky room offered a fat check to sell out his his values, but it's not that. It's really slow and it's really insidious. I mean, it's what happened with me with even like the woke left. So when I started comedy, it was during the Bush administration and I was anti-war and I was anti-homophobia and I didn't vote. You know, I didn't know anything about politics, but I knew that telling gay people they can't get married is wrong. And I knew that these wars seemed wrong. And then I started to get bigger and notoriety and made some waves and like all that stuff I still stand by. But then it's just, you know, you get these new fans and these new things are said and now and you get in trouble for saying this and you just start to like soft censor here and there and, you know, it, cre it creeps up on you and then you're making a good living and people love you. And so you don't ask as many questions. It's, it, it, it's stuff like that. But ever since being quote unquote canceled, something that also doesn't get talked about 
is, and I've had a lot of girlfriends in my life, friends that are girls, be like, bro, you gotta stop carrying around so much shame about what happened to you. I treat what happened to me, which is had a consensual affair, had some consensual one night stands. I treat that like I was accused of assault. I'll be on first dates with girls and we'll tell them the whole story to their horror because I don't want to sleep with someone or hook up with someone and Google comes up and says, doesn't say, you know, feminist comedian has a fair. It says predatory behavior and sexual misconduct, which is not who I am. It's not even who I was. I made stupid mistakes, but I was never a predator. You know, like if I walk into a comedy club right now and a lot of, you know, comedy is either like kind of extreme one side or extreme the other. But if I go to like kind of a more woke, like alt show, I'm going to be very quiet. My heart is going to be racing. I'm going to have headphones on and I'm going to pretty much assume everyone thinks I'm a sex predator. And it's horrible. It's horrible. And I carry so much shame with that. And the thing that surprised me the most about when I did some of these right wing shows, it wasn't that I was getting new followers. I just want to make a living and do some good. <laughs> That's it. I want to not freak out about money. I would love to have a family one day. And when I would go to these right wing places, it was these beautiful Fox News looking <laughs> lady hosts who I'd be like, you know, self-conscious in my corner. And they'd be like, hey, and they'd come up and then give me a huge hug. And I'm like, oh, I didn't feel like a creep. And, you know, they'd be like, man, I'm so sorry about what happened to you. That's awful. And I'm like, what happened to me? I was like, but I'm the piece of shit. Right. And so to show some maybe empathy or at least maybe shine some light on some of these people is, yeah, it's easy to think, yeah, it's just for a payday. It's just with what for whatever. But man, when you've had so many people turn their back on you so quickly and suddenly you're just offered community and you're offered safety and you're offered money, which is again, safety, it is really hard. And the fact that, yeah, you could look at me and it's like, well, cool. I think I stayed morally principled, but now I'm just hated by everybody. <laughs> it's really hard, man. And you know, one of the things, and I haven't talked about this publicly at all, but like I was suicidal a month ago because one of the, my main sources of income, I started doing these like jujitsu videos, these jujitsu comedy videos and they blew up and people really liked them. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, I'm in a healthy space. Uh, I'm doing a healthy thing. I'm talking about mental health in a community that doesn't, you know, I don't have to be political. I can make just enough of a living. And some dude who doesn't like me posted some shit, half of it, not true. And it was taken down because it wasn't true. But the other half of it was old links to the old stuff that happened to me and it blew up, you know, and again, it got taken down, but I lost a lot of money and I was like, shit, man. 10 years after an affair, and I can't even make jujitsu videos without this coming for me. Everything I do, I just assume it's going to get taken from me because of this, an affair that is being treated like a sexual assault. And what I realized was with my cancellation, with other people's cancellation, it wasn't just that I lost my wife or my money or my job. It was, oh, I lost everybody in a day. All of these friendships that I thought were real, gone. All of these fans, gone. So I think with these people, it's like you have to have a lot of willpower to not put on the brakes when you lose everything 
and people are telling you that you're good again and people are telling you that you're decent again and people are telling you that you're not a creep or you're not a racist or you're not a whatever, man, it's fucking hard, man. And now, you know, after kind of rock bottoming a couple of weeks ago, now I just kind of feel, I feel invincible now because I'm like, well, I survived. I didn't die. And now I'm not going to hide. I realized that jujitsu was me kind of hiding and playing small. And so I'm like, if people can come after me, then, then, okay, cool. I'm going to go do this massive music project. I'm going to go wrestle with my heroes. I'm going to blow these podcasts up. I'm going to tweet how I feel. I'm still going to try to help people. But at the same time, like you have to stop caring about the people who validate you and the people who don't like you. Um, both of those things can be toxic. And there were definitely, there was definitely a moment a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, maybe I get a show down at Glenn Beck's network after all, you know? In the past, yeah, Glenn Beck has, <laughs> he's, he's broadcast some really crazy weird stuff, especially during the Obama era. But he's a little bit more complicated because he's one of these right-wing figures who actually has called out some of the craziness on the right and I, I get the sense, I've never met the guy, but I get the sense he's psychologically a little bit more interesting and nuanced than some of the other people who are associated. Yeah, no, that's actually what we bonded with, or that's what we bonded about, and that's what we talked about the most, of him being like, I was the you of the right, just more successful, you know? <laughs> I was the you of the right, but more successful. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother is a, a conservative columnist here in Canada. She's, she's a lot more conservative than me. And it might surprise some people to know that she was actually on the leading edge of uh, mental health stuff when I was a kid. I went to, I'm not sure we use the term therapist, but it was like the talking lady or whatever, whatever kids in grade two or grade three talk about. She told me something that stayed with me, these doubts and insecurities and stuff like that. She picked an analogy that a little kid would understand. She said, it's like there's a monkey sitting on your shoulder and the monkey's always whispering into your ear, you're not good enough, you're, you're this, you're that. The problem with Twitter and the problem with social media culture is it's like that monkey jumped off your shoulder and took over a radio station. Yeah. <laughs> and every day, all you're thinking about is like, how do I blow up that stupid monkey radio station? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm finding is when you can just be confident in who you are, you know, you, you have to just know that all that stuff is noise and look the the kind of people who are gonna make fake twitter accounts or try to get someone fired it's like man they're suffering more than i am you know and way more and you know it's hard to ignore and but what i'm finding is the more i build myself up career-wise the more i stay authentic and build an authentic audience the more I can be open about this stuff, which I've done a lot lately. You know, I just, uh, the guest next week, well, two guests actually. So Lisa Lampanelli is this big comedian who used to be a big shock roast comedian, would go on Howard Stern a lot. You know, we talked about this a little bit on this week's podcast. And then um, next week I have the head writer of Family Guy. Seth MacFarlane. Uh, no, 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 not Seth, the, 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 the showrunner. And uh, Seth's the creator, but the showrunner head writer right now, uh, this guy, Alex Sulkin. And he is really liberal, very anti-Trump, very, you know, pro-vax, all that stuff. And suddenly in the middle of the podcast, he's like, yeah, you know, like Woody Allen's innocent, right? And I was like, where is this coming from, buddy? Like we were just talking about meditation 10 minutes ago. He's right. Yeah. Well, so so he goes, so you'll love the episode. So he goes on this Woody Allen rant and I go, yeah, I never really thought of that. I didn't dig into it because of like my stuff. And then from out of nowhere, something I would have hidden and like been like shaky about 
I was like, yeah, man, you know, I cheated and it got blown up and people said it was like sexual misconduct and just assumed he would hang up. And he was just like, man, that's horrible. And then like he made some joke. He's like, oh, yeah, I think I heard about it on Twitter through like Kilstein's Law or so he made some joke about something called Kilstein's Law. And I just remember laughing so cathartically where I'm like, whoa, this is someone like super on the left. And I can still make jokes about what happened to me. And we can still like I know we're still both on the right side and we still consider ourselves like not sexist. And, you know, it was really cool. And then we we had a conversation about like, well, what's it like to be liberal and work for a show that, you know, the left will always attack. And I think conversations like that now I feel more empowered to have because like I got nothing to lose. Woody Allen, I just I want to wrap that up. Dating your exes adopted daughter who's a third year age is weird and gross but not everything that's pervy and weird and gross is illegal and it's certainly not child rape if the person is over 18 as was the case here the the people who write me the most about what happened to me are not just women but they're women who have been sexually assaulted and the fact that they're showing any sympathy for me is insane but the reason they are completely makes sense where it's like it's invalidating to them when you compare a shitty relationship with abuse. The downfall of the Me Too movement, in my opinion, and a lot of people agree, was the Aziz Ansari story. Because so many people went, eh. Like for me, like I, I wouldn't have done what Aziz did, but it's not sexual assault, it's not whatever. And so what happened was people started, from then on, I saw it, started taking Me Too a lot less seriously. It's not a good look for, for two dudes to be talking about all, all the ways Me Too went off the rails. Although I will say, the Ansari thing, which was true, but certainly did not rise to the level of, of sexual assault. The other thing is the opposite, something that was alleged to be sexual assault, but was absolutely not true, which was the Tara Reid stuff against Joe Biden. Right. I think I think that might have been, that came a few years later, but I think that might have been bigger. By the way, John, you're about to get canceled. You totally just You totally just went woke on me by being like, hey, Jamie, this is problematic. We should probably not talk about this as two white cis males. But it was great. I loved that. And I'm like, yeah, that is a good point. And this goes back to the George Floyd thing where it's like that's how disgusting it is on both sides. We're like, if you're slightly conservative, you can't say that a black man being murdered in the street is bad. You can't say that uh, a Harvey Weinstein predator is bad. Dude, I don't want to be on a side where I'm defending that stuff. That's insane to me. I think you should still be able to go, hey, that woke thing is stupid. This thing about protecting women, really important. This conservative thing about, you know, whatever, dumb. That conservative thing about freedom kind of makes sense to me. That's what it should be about. Privilege is another example. Some of the most privileged people I know who are conservatives will sneer at the word privilege. I'm like, really? You're sneering at the idea that you were born in good health to yep. an emotionally functional and wealthy family. You went to good schools. Friends have helped you get jobs. I think about privilege all the time. It's a real thing. I got arrested once as a, a high school kid, and not only did I not go to jail, not only did I not get the shit kicked out of him, not only was I not cuffed, but I asked him to drop me off at the corner so my mom didn't see, and he did. And at the time, I'm like, that ruled. But, like, I don't know if that would happen if I was black. Maybe it would have. But, like, I don't know. Maybe not. I think what we're both describing, this is going to sound like old self-righteous Jamie, but it's true, is being a good person. That stuff you said shouldn't be classified as woke. The more of us that can just go, hey, how do I just be a good person? 
How do I just look out for people who need help? How do I try to just make the world better? All of those platitudes we were told as children. That's what it's about. I mean, that's what lockdown, that's what all this stuff taught me. Jamie Kilstein, thanks for being on the Quillette Podcast. And to support Jamie Kilstein, you can look him up on Patreon. Oh my God, yeah. So I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein, where I'll do solo podcasts about mental health. Take your questions. Uh, you can go to jamiekilsteinpodcast.com if you want to hear the, the family guy one we were talking about. That's going to be next week. It's called A Fuck-Up's Guide to the Universe. You can look it up on iTunes, uh, Spotify, all that. Twitter, I'm, I'm back active on Twitter just in a, a, a healthier way, at Jamie Kilstein. And my Instagram is at the Jamie Kilstein. Talk soon, Jamie. Thank you. All right, buddy. Bye. Thank you. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you will find more content.